and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with our friend Dick Foth for another session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our uh, interview with our new friend, Joel. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's, it's a delight. Never gets old for me. And the, maybe it's because I'm old and I forget what the last one was about. <laughs> well, I got a long list of uh, file over here of the questions we went through. So we went okay. through a few, we went through a few together. Dick, two questions for you today. Uh, listeners and in what when you're preparing your messages, is there a process you go through in developing it? It depends on whether it's a series. Because a lot of times when I get invited to speak someplace, a, a congregation is in a series, so you're fitting into whatever it is. Or whether it's a thematic thing, that because each of us, I think, have life themes. And somebody once in a while will say, well, just, just speak what's on your heart. Well, these life themes are the things that come to the, to the fore, right? Or if it's what I would call a one-off. It's just, it, it isn't, it's a standalone. Yeah. But the, the general structure is the same. I had the privilege of my very best professor I ever had was in grad school. Her name was Dr. Lois Labar. Hmm. And uh, she taught, she was head of the Christian ed department at Wheaton College Graduate School back in the 1960s. And she would always talk about the big arrow. And okay. this was before books, more recent books came out on the big idea and all of that. But the but the big arrow is framed in this way. Dick, what do you pray that people will leave thinking, feeling, and acting on? Knowing, mm -hmm. so knowing, thinking, feeling, and acting on. Go to what you would feel that the conclusion should be and okay. work backwards. Okay. Interesting. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. What do you, what do you want the end game to be? What yeah. do you, and so, and, you know, if you could just construct it. And of course the challenge in speaking is that the speaker, you folks who are listening to this, you know what you say. You yeah. just don't know what everybody else hears. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's why you have to trust the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. So, so I, I have themes that I talk about. Big themes are yeah. light. Those first four words, let there be light. Okay. Uh, relationships. Yeah. Kingdom. But in terms of the structure, here's what I believe. People remember stories. Hmm. We don't just have stories. We are stories. And all, all the studies show that our brains are wired for it, right? And there are lots of books out there about yeah. leading the stories. Companies know this in branding, right? So... But uh, so I would say I I like my what I say, the messages that I have to be scripture centered, but okay. story framed. Hmm. And when, when you look about what constitutes, quote, a good talk, just generally, it's the words you say at the beginning and the end okay. are the things that people remember. OK, what did you you know, it's the old thing about. Tell them what you are going to say, say it, and then tell them what you said. Sort of that. Yeah. But but how you and how you close it out. Um, I I almost always end with a story because mm. that's what people will remember. People, yeah. I have people coming. Let's say that I spoke at a missionary retreat in Brackenhurst there in yeah. Nairobi. 
wherever it is years ago. Yeah. I'll have people come to me and say, 30, 33 years ago I was at this thing, yeah. and I don't remember the scripture, hmm. but you told a story. Hmm. And I have found that the story will lead people back to the scripture, yeah, that's good. Uh, unless the story is the scripture. If it's yeah. if it's a narrative, because forty two percent of the scripture is narrative. Then yeah. anyway, so that's good. That's it. Good stuff. Good stuff. The second question kind of follows that. How have you seen communicating from the platform or the stage change over time? My immediate response to that is it's gotten shorter. Hmm. It's gotten shorter. Okay. Um, I have a and part of that today, depending on the kinds of congregations you're in, if they have multiple services, your service schedule dictates what you have. So let's say on average, you get 30 minutes yeah. today. But I have a friend who's been a speechwriter on Capitol Hill since the 19 early 1980s. Okay. And the other day he told me the difference between writing speeches for senators or leaders today is this in the 1980s. I would write speeches for 45 minutes. Hmm. Today, the average speech I write is nine minutes. Wow. That's that has difference. to do with that has to do with attention span. Yeah. Because the, the we have been programmed yeah. to, to have multiple platforms, multiple things. I'm sort of listening to you, but I'm also checking out the football scores, you, you know, all of that. Yeah. So, uh, but just as a point of reference, I don't think it's about length. I think it's about um, intent and communicating capacity. The longest talk, if I can put it this way, that Jesus gives in the Gospels is the Sermon on the Mount. He yeah. actually sits down and yeah. teaches them. And you can read that out loud in 12 minutes. Hmm. Simon Peter, Day of Pentecost. Yeah. Here's, here's a guy who he's up and down and sideways all through the gospel. And he stands up with the anointing of the Holy Spirit and he speaks for three minutes yeah. and 3000 people come to say, <laughs> what's that about? You yeah. know? Yeah. So, uh, um, I would just, I would, I would say this about, uh, communicating in public. Yeah. And it comes from the same fellow who's the speech writer. And that is out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. So whatever it is you're doing, you yeah. can have the nicest thing, but that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Can I share one more thing? You can edit. Sure. This out. No, no, so go ahead. Year, years ago, uh, I, I had left the congregation in Illinois after a dozen years and gone to be president of a small college and I had a friend who became head of men's ministries for a denomination nationally. And they did their first national conference, university of Dayton in Ohio Catholic school. And he called me and said, Dick, I'd like you to speak at our conference. I said, well, thank you. And he said, now we have five main sessions for the, where they, where we have speakers. And I already have those. And I'm thinking, he's my good friend. I'm saying, well, really, what do you want me to do? He said, what I'd like you to do is I would like you before that speaker speaks in that session, I would like you to take one word or one idea from scripture and give us seven minutes on that. And I said, where'd you come up with this idea? He said, I was at a Methodist men's retreat and they did it. And it was powerful. Wow. So I, I said, okay, it, it was like the hardest thing I've ever done. Seven huh. minutes. You really have to know what you're going to say. <laughs> you really do. But, but afterwards, afterwards, 
man after man came up and said, thanks a million for that. I'm going back and telling my pastor it can be done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And you, you just did it. You just did it. So. Dick, always a joy to spend some time with you on Back Channel with Foth. We're going to go ahead and jump in to our interview with Joel Mom and uh, just a fun time hanging out with him and hearing about his adventures and his love for life and mission. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have a new friend of the podcast with us, Joel Mom. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Hey, for you and I just spent a few minutes kind of getting to know each other before we hit record. Will you go ahead and maybe just share a little bit about yourself for those listening in? Yeah, so um, I am actually what you would call a TCK. Uh, There you go. My parents dragged me down to Central America when I was in, right as we were starting middle school. So I grew up in Guatemala, Central America, and uh, so it's always kind of made me a unique bird. You guys listening probably know what that's like. And uh, I've just, yeah, so... Grew up there, um, always had a passion for for missions, and my dad started a missions agency called Commissioned Every Nation, and I'm actually on the board of that now, eventually yeah. will be the president, hopefully no time soon, I want my dad to live very, very long, <laughs> but uh, the organization, we have a, it's called Commissioned Every Nation, kind of unique organization, we we help people that are already on the field, who maybe their mm-hmm. organization changes directions, or uh, maybe pulls out of a country, Yeah. so we do that, and Middle of that, I started leading outdoor expeditions around the world and doing leadership training. I got a master's degree in counseling. Uh, and uh, just after I got my my undergrad, I kind of I climbed a mountain in Russia. I felt like God was telling me to take people on outdoor adventures that expand their perspective. My, my friend Mark Batterson, he says it yeah. this way. He's been on a lot of trips with me. He says, change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. Like, mm. And he's like, that's the formula. I was like, that yeah. is the formula for what we do. So yeah. I started doing outdoor adventures, started writing books about some of the stuff I was learning, and the books kind of took off. And here I am now. I write books and speak, and I also serve as a teaching pastor and resident. So I speak around the country, around the world. But when I'm home, uh, I fill in for our pastor at home. So I cover for him 20, 20, 25 weeks a month, which I love because oh. it keeps me tied into the local church. And uh, it's just, man, I mean, if you're an itinerant person, you, you kind of know how that is. It's, yeah, you always true. need a home base. So I've yeah. based here in, in Texas. And just recently, my dad and I started a retreat center for pastors and missionaries okay. here in the hills of Kerrville, Texas. Um, somehow I got it in my head that I could do this on my own. I, <laughs> I don't know if it was faith or hubris or maybe a combination of both God uses. But uh, so we've just built uh, three cabins, a fourth with three are open, but a fourth is about to be open. Uh, and we, we house missionaries, those that come to our mission agency and those yeah. that just need a break or pastors that need a break. So yeah. that's kind of the short essence of what I do. I lead outdoor expeditions, write books and speak. And now I've got this, uh, retreat center I built. So awesome. So outdoor, outdoor adventures, where are some of the places you've been? And I know it's probably very hard, but it's the easy question to ask. What is, uh, what's one of the, 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 your most favorite adventures? Yeah. So every year we do, uh, we lived in, my wife and I lived in Peru for a while and we started a cafe okay. down there. And so every year I kind of make my pilgrimage back there. We do a hike to Machu Picchu in, in Peru. Uh, that's one of my staple trips. We do hikes through, uh, Israel, Northern Israel. We do the, uh, Jesus trail, you know, the path Jesus sure. probably would have walked. Uh, we've done Mount Kilimanjaro. Hmm. Uh, and, um, yeah, I took, actually took Bob Goff, a friend of mine up to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Very and cool. so I, I forgot to mention on these trips, uh, oftentimes I'll take kind of well-known speakers who normally speak to like 12,000 and they'll have them speak to like 12 at a time. Okay. So that's kind of my vision for the, the organization. 
Oh, we've done Scottish Highlands. We've hiked. Um, we've sailed through, sailed different places in the Pacific Northwest, down in the Florida Keys. We've, uh, we were after the Grand Canyon, did that with Mark Batterson, Yosemite National Park. Uh, we've done a bunch of trips in Maine. Wow. So I'd have to say, though, my favorites. Uh, up until up until last year, I would have said New Zealand. The South okay. Island of New Zealand is my favorite. But last year, the Lord opened opportunity for me to go to Patagonia and Torres del Paine. And wow. that was mind-blowing. Mind-blowing was trip. Um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And it was just, it was a gift of God. Because shortly after that, I found out I had melanoma diagnosis I had to deal hmm. with. So it kind of threw me a bone before the struggle. So I was, yeah. I was great for it. Melanoma is all clear, it seems, but awesome uh, I believe the Lord healed me of it. But, um, yeah. but yeah, that was an amazing, amazing, unforgettable experience. Yeah. So I love Patagonia. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, before we hit recorded, hit started recording, we shared our both equal love for the French language and, uh, the language yes. school in Albertville. And then, um, yeah, my specialty, um, is dermatology. So melanoma is something that, uh, that I'm normally the guy that, you know, takes biopsies off, sends it away. Yeah. And it's one of those ones that you don't, normally don't want to walk back into a room and share in general. Dermatology is, is a, is a great profession, but those are, those are hard conversations. So definitely we'll continue to pray for you, um, with, with, Thank with you. that for sure. So we're going to talk today about connecting the dots. Um, when, what God is doing when life doesn't make sense. Uh, you, sh you shared in the book is I got to read it. Um, the idea of God giving a, you giving you a mission, even when you're a deep and you're looking for meaning and purpose, but it's just not making sense. Can you just unpack that a little bit for us and what you've learned about that? Yeah. So this, this whole book emerged out of a season where we felt like God was calling us to take over a ministry in Mexico, okay. raise support to do it. And, uh, man, you know, we got down there and it was just horrible. <laughs> it was a horrible year. <laughs> but, uh, it's something I, it's something I leave off my resume because we ended up closing a successful ministry, uh, wow. on my watch. And, yeah. uh, now that I look back, I think it needed to happen. Even yeah. I was even talking to the people that I took it over from. They're like, it needed to happen. We just didn't have the guts to do it. Yeah. But we got down there, had a horrible year, mission shut down, and then we're missionless, fully funded missionaries with nowhere to go. Wow. And it was a very awkward experience. And I, I remember looking back at that year and going, what a wasted year of my, hmm. my life. I was supposed hmm. to go to Mexico and uh, didn't happen. I mean, we got there and it was just horrible. No, I I always joke. I was like, I don't think we changed anything down there. It changed us. Um, <laughs> so we had this horrible year. And for years, I looked back at it as, as a failure. But I see now looking back, you know, Soren Kierkegaard said life had lived forward, but it can only be understood looking backward. Wow. I see now that that was probably one of the most deep transformative experiences of my life. It was like a year of boot camp mm. in my spiritual walk. And that, uh, that, that year, so I, basically in that year, I kind of, well, I say it, 10 years later, I was looking back and I was like, what was that all about? And as I started looking at it, I started realizing, you know, Psalm 23, that's kind of the premise for the book. Psalm 23, hmm. it says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Hmm. And that Hebrew word path, my goal, it has this really weird meaning. It, it, it actually means something like paths made of circles. Hmm. And I just, I really, that resonated with me because I don't know about you, but I, I, most people I talk to, they say, yeah, I find myself kind of coming back to these certain themes, yeah. maybe timeframes every three, sure. five, seven years, uh, certain places that just kind of keep showing up in my life. But every time we go back there, it looks different. God looks mm. different. I look different. And I'm convinced that God's work in our life is more 
like a circular or like an ever widening spiral <clears throat> than it is a straight line. Yeah. Uh, there's a verse in Second Corinthians where the Apostle Paul says, he says, if we're out of our mind, it's because Christ's love compels us. Hmm. And that's another weird word, compels. It's Greek. In Greek, it, 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 it can be translated in some translations that says Christ's love constrains us. And you go, well, which one is it? Compels us to push forward, constrains us to close sure. and close. The word means he comes and wraps his hands around you and squeezes, kind of like a tube of toothpaste. If you've ever gone on the mission field, you've probably felt that. You just feel this call, <laughs> like I've got to do For this. Sure. And so I'm convinced he squeezes us out to become all we can be, but it's more like a, like a shepherd gently leading us in a circular path up to the heights where the good stuff is. So I started kind of looking at life and, and I I really realized that that there's about nine stages in every season of life. Hmm. And in every season of life, you can pretty much count on, you're going to go through these nine stages in every season. There's not death concrete. Like you don't necessarily know you're going from one season to another. And I started realizing when I was counseling people, that if you begin to see your life in terms of those, that which actually fits what makes for a good story, those nine stages, like every story we love, yeah, it all of a sudden it starts to take on this, this new meaning. You're like, oh, this isn't random what's happening. This mm. is part of the process God is taking me through to make me who I need to be. It's that sanctification, yeah. your big theological word, th- sanctification process. And I'm convinced the sanctification process looks like that circle with these stages and each there's pretty consistent things required of you in each stage. So the question is not, why is this happening when you're in the middle of a, a season that's hard? Yeah. The question is, how do I respond right now? And hmm. my goal with the book is to show you how to respond in each of those stages um, to get the most out of the season so that uh, you're really growing in your faith. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of, and the listeners have heard many times about my time in Burkina Faso, but there was, you know, I had malaria six times in the, like the first Oof. 11 months was sick. And, and I kept that idea of, I'm thinking, I think the only thing that I'm doing here is funding their medical programs because, you know, <laughs> I went there is to help work with people that had HIV and AIDS, work in a clinic. And it was me going to the clinic, not, you know, I wasn't caring for people. I was just there. But as you, as you mentioned, man, what a time as I can look back, you know, and say, I don't, I don't, wouldn't ever want to do it again, but look back on it and say, it was a time where I just was humbled and realized that, you know, God wanted me to be involved, but he didn't need me to be involved. And just that deeper walk in faith of where I fit in God's kingdom and where I fit in the mission of God. And uh, man, pivotal, pivotal, time. we'll talk about turning points, but it was, it was a turning point time for me. Um, just reckon, recognizing that and easy to look back on, man. It, it when I was in it, it was tough. It was tough. So you talk about circle, circular paths of righteousness. Can you, can you share a little bit more about those? Yeah. So it's that, it's that circle pattern again, where I talk about, um, in the book, I've got this chart, uh, is this a video podcast or just audio? Just audio. Okay. Yeah. So imagine this <laughs> in your mind, it's kind of like a spiral yeah. and, uh, it's, it's, it's like this ever widening spiral where it's like, you, you never quite, uh, anytime a circle ends, a season ends, you can count on a new season's going to start. Hmm. Um, and so in each of those stages, I think every new circle starts with what you just said, a turning sure. point. Yeah. Um, if you think about all the books and movies we love, you know, when they, when they tell you to write, when you're writing fiction, one of the things they tell you is get to the action as quickly as possible to keep hmm. the reader engaged. Yeah. And so when you write fiction, they want you within the first few pages to have something crazy happen yeah. to the main character. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, G.K. Chesterton, he said, he said, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered. <laughs> and I love that quote because, you know, it's not an adventure until something goes wrong. It, and we, it's true. We all say we love adventure, but we want it on our terms, but that's yeah. not really an adventure. 
Yeah, <laughs> so very, very true. Usually God throws something into your life. And the turning points, sometimes it's something we expected. Like I tell people all the time, like, you know, you having a kid is a turning point and you think mm. you're ready for it, but who's ever really ready for having kids? Yeah. Uh, or who's ever really ready for getting married? Yeah. It's, it, it jolts, it shakes your world. When I first moved to Guatemala, uh, for within the first few weeks we were there, there was a ton of little tremors and earthquakes. First time I'd ever experienced anything like that. I was a kid. And then the volcanoes started going crazy and, you know, kind of blacking mm. out the sun. And I remember thinking, did we move here in the apocalypse? And I talked to a missionary <laughs> and he said, he said, oh, no, he, you know, he'd been there for 30 years. He said, no, nah, this always happens when seasons change. We're going from the rainy to the dry season. Wow. He's like, everything shakes. Clouds get a little hazy. It'll be all right. And I'm like, oh, but I think that's a picture of what most season changes yeah. happen for. It's really tumultuous. I mean, if you've ever mm. moved out of your home, oh, that first year, yeah. Uh, yeah, going on the mission field, that first yeah. year is just, it's shaky. Yeah. And you're like, everything's changed and you're having to come to a new reality. So it starts with a turning point and there's some courage required yeah. uh, in that season. Uh, so that's, that's a, that's kind of the circular nature sure. of it. And I think you have, this repeats over and over again, because yeah. he's forever making us into who we're supposed to be. Yeah. So what are some, so was your, your time in Mexico, was that a turning point moment for you or have, have there been some turning points that maybe you would, you would be willing to share with us? Yeah. I mean, so I, one of the things I do in my counseling with people is I say, let's look at your three to five big turning points in your life. Okay. Um, and, and um, cause that sets the stage for a new season. Okay. And, um, so I always go, I say, let's go backwards. Like what was the most recent turning point that got you here? So for me, the most recent turning point was this decision to take on this retreat center. Yeah. And, uh, I started doing it and took some courage or, or hubris, or I don't know what it was, <laughs> foolishness, faith, whatever you want to call it. There's a combination of both God will use. Uh, and then there's a guide that has to, uh, there's always a guide that appears in the story. Right. And so yeah. our guide is the Holy spirit always. Sure. But of course the Holy spirit will always speak through the word of God first and foremost. Then he speaks through people that confirm uh, kind of what we're feeling and then make sure it's in line with the word of God. And then he speaks through, there is an inner voice that he speaks to us with. Uh, I don't think anybody would disagree that, you know, it says the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you will give life to your mortal body. The spirit of God will speak to you. Of course, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. So you got to balance that out between what the word of God is saying, what people are saying, and then sometimes circumstances line up. So the spirit speaks through those things, right? Then there's this decisive decision. So we went all in when we, uh, really, when we moved out here and decided yeah. we got to make this thing happen. So we moved from the city and I became a country boy okay. living out in the country. Uh, and so that was a thing. And, and then there's a, a series of challenges, which building this thing was a series of challenges. And then there's a dark cave. And honestly, I, I kind of saw that melanoma thing coming because there's mm. always a dark cave when a season is kind of at its apex. And mm. I think that melanoma thing was a moment where I, ha I had to realize that I lost control of the situation. And, and I've found over and over again, the only, the only way God transforms us is through experiences of great love or great suffering. And suffering is when you're out of control of something. Hmm. And uh, the whole, this whole experience has been being out of control. So that's the most recent season. And there's yeah. this resolution, a new perspective. The, the season before that was actually moving to San Antonio. We, we had a really successful, thriving ministry in Houston. And in the middle of that, I felt like the Lord told me to pick up and move out of there and move to San Antonio. And it was kind of like moving into obscurity because uh, I, I went from speaking to huge crowds to not speaking to a large crowd at all. Yeah. Uh, and it was a, it was a, a deepening time. The season before that, our seasons tend to revolve around moves. Hmm. Uh, the season before that was when we, we started in Mexico and ended up missionless. <laughs> and then uh, th that's the season I talk about in connecting the dots is this season yeah. where we started in Mexico, ended up missionless and found ourselves actually in the Andes mountains of Peru, starting a church hmm. and a cafe in Cusco. Uh, the season before that uh, started when I 
climbing a mountain in Russia. And so you can break your life down into these circles or these seasons. Sure. And, and I, I see a consistent thread of mm-hmm. meaning in all of them. And what I've concluded, one of the things I talk about in the book is that if you'll take the time to do this work of kind of looking back, God's given you a mission and a message. Mm-hmm. My message is two things, wisdom and perspective. I okay. describe it this way. Like, let's, let's do our best to stop unnecessary suffering. There's yeah. a lot of pain you can avoid by just following God's wisdom and his principles and then find meaning in necessary suffering. Uh, mm. There's a verse in Acts that I wish wasn't in there, but it says, through much suffering, we enter yeah. the kingdom of God. It says Paul went about encouraging the brothers. I'm like, yeah. wow, great encouragement. <laughs> yeah. Through much suffering, we enter the kingdom of God. And I think there's some suffering that God put, there is, you know, Paul says, we rejoice in our suffering. We know that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, hope does not mm. put us to shame. Mm. So we, we, there's suffering that God allows into our life, whatever, theologically, wherever you're at on that, suffering right. happens. Yeah, but it's part of the transformation process that God uses. So we want to find meaning in that necessary suffering and don't just see it as like, uh, you know, a wasted season or whatever. It's actually probably the the most transformative, deep transformation happening when you're going through that suffering. Uh, mm. So that that's the message that I've seen consistently through all of the seasons of my life is wisdom and perspective. Wisdom is stop unnecessary suffering. Perspective is find meaning in necessary suffering. Yeah, that's good. A great word. Great word. You talk about this was those many things were challenging, but this was specifically challenging for me. The idea that security, connection, and control. Um, they're the source of our hopes and dreams, but they can also be the source of our, our fear and anxiety. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah. Actually, my last two books were literally just about that. This okay. the fact that kind of at our core, we all have three basic needs. Uh we have a need for security. We need to know we're safe. You know, it can be emotional security, relational security, yeah. financial security. We need to know we have connection with others. And we need to know that we have a sense of empowerment, the ability to make our own choices. If you think about it, in the garden, God gave us all that. Yeah. He said, it was no sin. Uh, you and me are hanging out in the cool of the day, perfect connection with God. And then he said, you got to run out of place. Do whatever you want. Just don't do this one thing. Sure. As soon as we were disconnected from God through sin, we immediately felt fear. And so literally every fear you have comes down to feeling a threat to either your sense of security, your sense of connection, or your sense of empowerment or control. Hmm. And the way that plays out is it ultimately, if you look at the biblical sequence, the biblical sequence, as soon as fear entered, anger showed up next. In the next chapter, you see Cain and Abel, anger is first mention of anger. And anger always comes from a fear Hmm. that we're being threatened to our security, connection, or control. And I know some people don't like to acknowledge their anger, so we call it frustration. Like, I don't get angry. <laughs> I get frustrated. Uh, so that's one of my points. And what one of the key things is it recognizes all any fear you have is related to those things. And of course, we know that there is no fear in love, but perfect love. The love you're looking yeah. for is God's love, which drives out all fear, which is why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all those things you're looking for, the security, the connection, the empowerment, those will be given to you as well. But you have to seek first the kingdom because mm. the kingdom is where that's all going to come from. And until you're secure, until you're connected, and until you find your empowerment in him, you're always going to feel lacking a hole within you. You're going to feel a sense that, um, you know, and, and no, no amount of money, no amount yeah. of uh, walls around your home, no amount of friends, no amount of how much you know will ever fulfill that. It's only, and it seems so esoteric, but it really <laughs> is only fulfilled in God's, God's love. So when you're dealing with anxiety, when you're dealing with fear, when you're dealing with anger, 
Yeah. Uh, the root of it is always some sort of a threat to one of those three things. And you constantly have, you can use it as a dashboard light going, hmm. ah, there's something I'm counting on that is not the right thing to count on because only God's love can fulfill that. Yeah, no, it's, it was, like I said, it was very challenging for me. And, um, at time I spent a good, a good, a good amount of time reflecting on that. And it, it, it rang true. Um, it rang true, um, for me, obviously that's why I see the question you talk about, um, uh, specific sources of revelation and you, what, how you've seen the Holy spirit use these specific sources of revelation. Will you, will you maybe share some of those with us and how the Holy spirit, you see the Holy spirit doing that? Yeah, well, I, I kind of touched on it a minute ago, but uh, I, what I've seen over and over in, is in, well, in my life, um, God tends to speak really through people, hmm. but they always confirm what they're never going to say something in contradiction to the Bible. So I talk about in right. the book, there's a hierarchy of guidance. Um, and I mean, Christians were so hardcore about the Bible being the definitive source because we, I, I really believe the Bible is the framework for how to live in harmony with the seen and the unseen realities of our existence. Mm. If you want to know how to relate to God and man, the Bible is going to have it. And interestingly, he uses stories to show that framework. But the Bible and then people, and this is where it's so important, um, you just can't be a lone ranger out there. Mm. And it, it can be really easy, particularly for people on the mission field. It sure. can be really easy to become a lone ranger. Yeah. Um, especially when you've got culturally, you've got a lot of people looking up to you, maybe yeah. um, you're in a position where people are like looking to you as even as a pastor, you feel this. Or, and But you, the Lone Ranger thing uh, is so dangerous <laughs> because you can miss it. And just, yeah. you know, Jim Ron says, you're the average of the five people you hang out with most. And I think most of us think we're the smartest person in our friend group, <laughs> but wow. we're probably about average. <laughs> So if you feel like if you feel like you're the smartest person in the room, you need to find another room. And I agree you need with that. People, Amen and, on that one. Another one in Proverbs, Proverbs says, "Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses." Hmm. You need people in your life that just rub you the wrong way and tell you what you need to hear, rather hmm. than what you want to hear. Hmm. And I can't tell you how many times in my life, uh, the people I mentioned in my book, David and Karen Nicholson, they've been mentors in my life. God has used them to speak to me. Uh, even just this last weekend, he's like, you're wrong on something. And I'm like, I don't like that. And he's like, I don't care that you don't like it. You're wrong. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so they, they speak, they confirm the word, right? And that's why yeah. it's so important to have godly mentorship in your life and, and submission to that mentorship, yeah. uh, submission. There's a lot of security in submission. Submission is not a word we we're that's real cool right now, <laughs> but so there's a lot of uh, security and safety and submission to those spiritual authorities God's put in your life. Yeah. Now, obviously there can be abuse, but, and then the third way is that inner voice. Um, I just, I really believe that when, I mean, the spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living in you. I don't understand how it all works, hmm. but I know that when the, the goal is to live from the inside out and yeah. uh, when the spirit of God is impacting, um, I believe in that, Watchman Nee talks about the three-part nature of man, the spirit, the soul, which the soul consists of your emotions, your desires, and your thoughts, and then your body. And yeah. so many times we're affected from the outside in. You know, we wake up, mm. it's cloudy, it's a crummy day, um, and, well, and we wonder if God's still on the throne. We don't say that out loud, <laughs> but we, the goal is to live from the spirit of God within us, this constant spirit, which is guiding us, working its way through our emotions, thoughts, desires, and then out into our actions. And that spirit is available to speak to you. Usually he speaks in a still small voice. So you mm. got to get quiet. Um, yeah. You're not going to hear it if you just keep everything ramped up and rambling all the time. And then the third, I, I call it a 0. 0.5. I don't call it a full, full way right. he speaks, is circumstances. 
Sometimes okay. circumstances line up when God yeah. calls you to do something. Sometimes you have to act in spite of far than perfect circumstances. But when you mm. do have to, what you got to seek is that, you know, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. When mm. he calls you to act in spite of circumstances that seem far, in circumstances that seem far from perfect, you've got to look for that peace that transcends all understanding. You go, yeah, I know we probably probably shouldn't be doing this, but I really do feel this deep sense of peace about it. And there's your sign. Yeah. Um, and then the beautiful thing is I believe that if you've really in good faith stepped out and tried to follow God the best you can, even if you fall flat on your face, or even if you fail, um, he's, he's going to bail you out. Yeah. He's yeah, going to protect sure. you. If you're not in blatant rebellion, St. Augustine says something very uncomfortable. He says, uh, fear, uh, love God and do as you please for the heart trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the beloved. Um, mm. That makes me very uncomfortable <laughs> because I'm like, wait, do as you please. But if the spirit of God really is guiding you, oftentimes he will speak through your, your own desires and that yeah. this heart you have for something. Sure. How have you learned to walk in that tension of having people around you that are speaking the truth and not wanting to push them away? You know, and, and I, does that make sense? Because I think that, oh, yeah. would, that takes courage and that takes tension. And and to me, I think it would take, yeah, just the, the natural desire to be saying, I, I don't I don't need to hear that and I, I don't want that in my life. So how have you how have you gained, have the uh, cultivated the courage and then walked in that tension? Well, one thing with me, I've had to be super proactive because okay. I grew up in Central America. So most of my mentors are spread to the four corners of the world. Okay. Uh, one of my key mentors right now is in uh, in Cairo, Egypt. Okay. Uh, another one of my key is in Florida, and I'm in Texas. Yeah. Another one of key, my key mentors is in Virginia. Uh, another one of the like people I go to, they're all over the world. Hmm. So I have to be very proactive about seeking it out. That's good uh, and that's the thing I think that's really important is a lot of us we think it's going to passively happen, hmm. but you have to actively and proactively, especially if you're on the mission field, yeah. you've got to proactively reach out for lines of communication and say, I want to keep this relationship going because I need you in my life. Hmm. And, um, I mean, I've pushed through most of my mentors have been with me for 30 years now. Okay. And some of them are peers. Some of them are older than me. My, my yeah. greatest mentor is my father. I mean, he's the yeah. man that's most like Jesus that I know. Uh, and fortunately we're in the same town right now, yeah. but it, you've got to proact be proactive about it, especially if you're on the mission field and most of your people are back home. And yeah, I know the time zones are complicated. Um, <laughs> we know about time zone issues, right? <laughs> we, we got the, I got the time wrong this morning for our meeting, but I know it's complicated and it takes effort and work, but I believe yeah. you have to be proactive about it. Not, not only for your own safety, but for your own growth. Hmm. And it's a lot easier to just kind of do your thing and we'll see if it, you know, if the, the opportunity arises, you've got to create the opportunity yeah, that's good. because it's probably not going to arise. Yeah. You talk about um, the dark night of the soul, and I think that's, you know, living on the mission field, you're far away from family, sometimes very far away from friends. The idea of connecting is powerful, having mentors. Any words of encouragement, maybe that somebody's listening into this and they just feel like that they're at, at a time of a dark night of their soul season or moment. Yeah. yeah. Any words for them? The, so this is... I know, I know it's a sensitive topic and I've talked to so many missionaries that they, they start to, they see something on the mission field that kind of jolts their faith. Maybe the perfect sure. little understanding of God they had. 
and something, maybe a disappointment they felt with God because they thought you should have come through here and you didn't. And I think it, I tend to think that Dark Knight of the Soul starts with disappointment. Hmm. Um, and you kind of have this wrestling with God, this moment where you wrestle with him. And what's challenging on the mission field is uh, a lot of times you don't want to report back home that you're feeling that because they're like, get them off the field. Their faith yeah. is floundering. Sure. But it's really common specifically for you. I mean, when you're, when your little world of, well, basically when the God you created in your image gets shattered, <laughs> your faith gets shaken. Yeah. And I, I believe that's part of the journey. Um, I, I, and obviously people, you know, this deconstructing faith is really hot right now, but I, I'm convinced if you, if you're really truly seeking truth and you truly start to deconstruct it, what you may find is the, the God you've been serving, uh, was m not quite the actual real God because the real God is full of mystery. And I, one mm. of the things that um, John of the cross is the guy that kind of pegged the term, the dark night of the soul. And he, he called it luminous darkness where you're walking in the darkness. Yeah. Where you're walking in the darkness, but yet there's still this kind of light where you're like, I know it, it's like this where, where Jesus, he was talking at one point where he said, if you want to follow me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And all these Jews are thinking, is he talking about cannibalism? <laughs> and, and they start taking off. And then yeah. he turns to Peter and says, Peter, hey, you're going to leave too? And Peter, Peter essentially says, uh, I, I probably would, but I gave up everything. Where else am I going to go? You have the words of life. Yeah. And I think that's a picture of what the dark night looks like. When Jesus shows up in a way that you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was not how this was supposed to go down. He didn't heal the person. He didn't yeah. save your family member. You didn't get back in time for the death. Mm -hmm. Um all these things, these miraculous things he's supposed to do, or the worst is when he gets really quiet hmm. and you're looking for his guidance. Um, A.W. Tozer, he says, it's doubtful whether God can use a person greatly before he has first wounded them deeply. Hmm. And then he goes on to talk about how there's these tests that God puts in front of us. And one of the things I talk about in the book is that I'm, I'm convinced this, that God's silence, it's actually a sign of his approval. Because if you think about a teacher when they're giving you a test, they sit in the corner quietly and you're like, teacher, teach, nah, nah, nah. you got this, you got this, complete the test. And I think it's a sign of his silence isn't a sign of his disapproval uh, in, in the dark night of the soul. Now, if you're in disobedience, you know, but he's right. usually pretty loud when you're disobedient, you know, right. in your conscience, <laughs> but, but he's saying, I, I, you got this. And I need you to prove that you've internalized what I've been building in you, the strength that I've been building in you. And this is your chance to do it. And the silence of God in the dark night of the soul I talk about in the book is, is what if you saw it as his approval and confidence in your ability to navigate through the spirit of God within you. Mm -hmm. And it's not that he's mad at you. And yeah. I believe early in our walk, he's, he's very vocal about guidance, but I think a sign of maturity is you don't need turn by turn instructions from the Lord because you've internalized their lessons. Yeah. And the dark night of that soul is, is often that first time where you start to go, you know, God used to speak a lot to me. I'm not hearing him as much, but I know the path I need to take. So I'm going to do the next right thing. I'm going to trust he's going to give me new directions when I need them. Stick with the last thing he told me. And even if he's not speaking, where else will I go? He has the words of life. Even if he's not coming through in the way I expected him to come through, where else will I go? He has the words of life. I'm going to stick with this knowing. And that's, that's really what faith is. Faith yeah. isn't certainty. You don't need yeah. faith when it's sunshine and unicorns prancing through sure. the sky. Yeah. You need faith when it gets really, really dark. And yeah. you've got to believe that what God says is true, even when it doesn't look like what he says is true. Yeah. That, that's the essence of the dark night of the soul. It's that those times where you're wrestling with God and he's not speaking to you the way you want. And, or maybe he even 
maybe even left a wound on your hip and, yeah. and you're walking around with this wound that he left while you're wrestling with him. And, and, and if you see with Jacob, I think it's so cool with Jacob, Jacob's wrestling with God and he says, Hey, what's your name? Jacob goes, I'm Jacob. He's like, no, I'm changing your name. This mm. is your truest identity. Mm. And I think in the dark night where we're wrestling with God, if we're honest with ourselves and, and, and it's a really weird thing, but I think sometimes we have to forgive God. God does no wrong. Don't get yeah. me there wrong. But sometimes we have to forgive what we felt like he should have done and say, I, I trust you in spite of this. Again, people get really touchy. I get touchy about, do you, do you forgive God? How do you forgive somebody who's done no wrong? But you have to acknowledge that disappointment in your heart. Sure. And that's when you can truly wrestle with him. And, and, and he can take it, man. He yeah. can take your screaming, your yelling. You can even throw stuff at him. He yeah. can handle it. Yeah. And, and, and don't be afraid to, to, to really wrestle with that. But I think bringing people in on that is really important. And I understand on the mission field, you probably don't want to bring your pastoral care person in on it from, from back home. Cause they're like, they're doubting their faith, pull them back home, you yeah. know, but find somebody you can relate to and talk through those things with. That's a good word. You know, I think one of the things I've had to, I've wrestled with was when I thought I was walking in faith, I was walking in my human logic. So meaning that mm -hmm. if I understood it, then I was willing to go forward in it. Um, and I believe God gives us wisdom. I think the Holy Spirit gives us insight. I think God counsels us. I think he gives us guidance and direction and the way we should go. I believe those things. But I had to, just as you've outlined here in those dark nights of the soul moments, I wanted to logically understand it. And and I just felt you know the Holy Spirit pushing me saying, listen, if, if you're going to walk in faith, that means you're not going to necessarily understand what's going on. I just need you to continue to trust me and walk in faith. And um, I, I love to tell you, I get it right every time. I don't. Um, at the same time, it's been a lesson that God's been working on me and what it really means to trust in him and and walk in faith doesn't mean that I'm always going to understand it. Because if I understand it, it's me understanding it. And it's not much, there's not a whole lot of faith in there. It's just me walking in my own human logic. So when you write a book, a lot, you learn a lot, you learn about, about yourself. Is there anything that changed in you or maybe changed in your perspective as you wrote this book and you edit it and you put it together and you look at it, anything that maybe you might've changed in or things that maybe became more clear in the process? Yeah. I'll tell you this. Uh, somebody asked me on an interview recently, like, um, what would you tell your 20 year old self? And, uh, this is what I would tell my 20 year old self. And I got it from working through this book. Yeah. Chill out, man. <laughs> I was so determined to, you know, drive forward. I'm going to, I'm going to advance the gospel. I'm going to do, and it seems it almost as a type A driving personality, it seems so almost passive, so resigned, but I'm just more and more convinced God does not need us. The, the thing he needs me to do is get out of his get out of his way, <laughs> so that he can work. Tozer says that too. He says the uh, the essence of surrender is getting out of God's way, so He can do through you what He wants to do in you. Hmm. And so many times, I, I He worked in spite of my work. Yeah. And uh, so many times, I did extra stuff that didn't even need to be done. And in the meantime, the really important stuff was being done. And just I think I, that's what I've realized is just chill out. Like God is working behind the scenes, Dwell. For those listening, God is working behind the scenes. Don't you ever doubt that? John Piper says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. If you're lucky, you'll see three. Yeah. And he's always working. He's always accomplishing his purpose. That's the title of the subtitle of the book, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. People can say, how can you be so presumptuous? Well, he says what he's doing. He's working all things together 
for the good of those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. He's working his purpose in your life and you just get to surrender and enjoy the adventure. Again, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered. That would be the thing I learned most is just, I've got to chill out. And and that takes away a lot of your anxiety. Uh, It takes away a lot of your sense of, got to do this and the weight yeah. of carrying the, the world on your shoulders. It's really, Jesus already carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. Yeah. You don't have to. Yeah, that's a good word. Joel, it's been an honor to spend some time with you and uh, you're professional at, at these interviews and, and love how you, you, your love for God's word um, shines forth and um, just your wisdom, your wisdom and insight has been valuable for us. Will you pray for us today? That God will use what you've shared um, to encourage us, to strengthen us um, wherever we're at. Absolutely. Lord, I just thank you that you are working behind the scenes in everyone's life that's listening. I pray for those right now that are, man, maybe they're in the dark season. They're in that dark night of the soul where they've seen something on the field and they're going, what in the world? Like, what is this? I thank you, Lord, that you're going to give them the courage, first of all, to bring their disappointment to you and lay it at your feet. I thank you, Lord, you're going to be speaking to them right in the middle of it. I pray that that peace that passes all understanding will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, I declare over their life that they won't lose heart, though outwardly they're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, which is beyond all comparison. So we will fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is it's temporary, but what is unseen is eternal We thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. That's your word, Lord, and we just call that forth in our lives. We believe, Lord, that that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter and brighter. And I just pray that for everyone listening right now, Lord, that they would begin to just see a glimpse of your hand in your life. 